When Jesus speaks to you, he speaks to your heart. We all have our cultural biases, our own tendencies. We have our family upbringings. We're raised conservative, liberal. We all have our own peaks and flaws and our own failures and sins. Like we all have these different things that kind of encapsulate it. Really all of that doesn't matter compared to the 15 second moment of God, if you're real, show yourself to me. You can feel and sense the whispering of God in and through the creation because it says in Romans that God speaks to us through creation. God is the one trying to get our attention. He's the one speaking to us through the creation. He's the one using truth and beauty and love and all these notions. And he's wrapped that all up into Jesus Christ, who exemplified the most powerful act of love there was in the universe, which was dying for us on the cross. Welcome to the Staying Free Podcast. In this episode, I spoke with PJ Byers. PJ is a Christian and former Canadian professional ice hockey player and coach with a master's degree in philosophy. During the pandemic, PJ left urban living in downtown Toronto to begin preparations for a parallel society in rural northern Canada. His book, Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ is available on Amazon. So I first heard PJ on Parallel Mike's show and I really, really enjoyed that conversation. I got the distinct feeling that PJ not only is someone who thinks very deeply on a range of different issues, but he's also someone who's taken very decisive action in his own life to weather the storm of the Great Reset and everything that is coming down the line. So I went into this conversation completely fresh. I didn't have time to make any notes before we started talking, but I'm kind of glad that it worked out that way because we ended up talking about topics that I did not think we were going to touch. And in particular, we went very deep on philosophy, religion, and how the two intersect. So I had an absolute blast having this conversation. I really hope that you guys get some value from it too. If you do like the episode, make sure you give it a like and a share on social media. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, give it a five-star rating on whichever podcast app you're using. If you're new here, then welcome. Give the podcast a subscribe for future episodes. Please do also consider supporting my content. You can do this in three ways. The first is via Buy Me A Coffee, where you can give a one-off donation or a recurring small monthly donation. You can give a Bitcoin donation as well. And you can listen on the Fountain app and stream stats while you listen. Links for all of those are in the description. And if you want to book a one-on-one call with myself to talk about absolutely anything, you can do that via Buy Me A Coffee as well. All of your support is appreciated and will go directly towards the cost of running the show. All right, on to the episode. All right, PJ, welcome to the podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, we obviously just started talking. We started getting some good topics, so I thought that I might as well hit the record and then we can uh, get going into it. So it's been it's been a while, you know, um, that I've been wanting to, to speak to you. I, I didn't tell you this yet, but um, Mike actually sent me a message after he had you on his podcast, like really shortly after that, and said, you should talk to this guy, PJ. He's like perfect guest for, for your pod. And you've been in the back of my mind since then. And it, it just never seemed like the right time. Like guests kind of kept coming and going. And sometimes I just felt like my schedule was just always packed up. But I was like, at some point, we're going to have this conversation. So mm. I'm super glad that we're, we're doing it today. So before we uh, start diving into it, do you, do you want to just give my um, audience a bit of an intro as yourself? Yeah, so uh, real quick, my name's PJ. Um, doesn't stand for pajamas, stands for uh, Peter Jr. after the old man. Um, I grew up in uh, Ontario, Canada, um, the far north, as we like to call it. Um, pretty typical Canadian upbringing. I was uh, playing hockey, probably learned how to skate when I was about three years old, which was pretty common for a lot of uh, Canadian players back in the day, was you learn how to skate almost as soon as you learn how to walk. Um, played high-level competitive hockey throughout my entire career, which led from uh, like my 
my junior days from about uh, like as a kid and then you move into junior, which is about 17 to like uh, 19, 20 years, um, university hockey. And then after university, I played a couple of years pro. I uh, didn't quite make the big, big leagues, which would be the National Hockey League. I'm assuming if you have an audience in England and Great Britain, we call it uh, ice hockey out here, or just hockey. But uh, I'm not sure if there's a lot of ice hockey happening out there in Britain. But I know there is a league there and if you guys play, but the hockey isn't the best, uh, to be honest. But hey, it's still something. It's still something. But um, anyways, but uh, while I was playing at university, actually, um, I had a, uh, my conversion experience. I became a Christian at the age of 20. And that changed a little bit of my life trajectory. I was kind of touting on playing pro or trying to at least going pro a little bit sooner in my career. But um, after I became a Christian at 20, I just became obsessed with learning and philosophy and, and theology. And I actually went to a Christian university. Um, and then I that led me to uh, getting a master's degree at a Christian university called Trinity Western out in British Columbia, Canada. And when I went out there on uh, on an academic scholarship, I actually picked up the skates again and uh, made the hockey team as a walk-on and, and had a really two good years of, uh, of play out there as well. But I got a master's degree in philosophy when I was out there at the same time when I was playing. And then I played a few more years of uh, hockey after that. And um, after my playing career, um, I got pretty involved with uh, business and uh, coaching, actually. And uh, so I started coaching junior A and then I started coaching uh Young boys, so about 13, 14 year olds were kind of the, the range of players that I was coaching and teaching. And um, just like anybody had uh, had some good success early on, but the minor hockey world of sport here in Canada, I would say it's comparable to what would be like academy soccer in, in Britain, where ferocious competition and very cutthroat management at the top. And the higher up you go, the more cutthroat it gets. So <laughs> the stories are just egregious, like just debauchery and degeneracy and egregiousness right from the beginning to top. Like I kind of explain minor hockey in Canada as like, I'm not really a Star Wars fan, but the Star Wars scene in the whatever that the first old movie was when they go into the bar and it's just like, everybody's so wild. Like that's a very comparable scene to uh, hockey in, in Canada. So um, anyway, so I'll kind of fast forward to uh, living in downtown Toronto, really involved in the hockey world, COVID hit and, uh, whether I'm not really too sure why also we can get into that part more but fortunately I'd say for myself very early on um I just I didn't buy it for a second um my dad and my mom my mom's a, a nurse at a hospital my dad's a paramedic and a fireman none of it made sense from the beginning um so that kind of opened up my eyes a little bit to what I believed what was going on uh worldwide which was really a, a global sovereign debt crisis and I kind of recognized the precariousness of the, the global financial markets. And I recognized like, holy cow, this is a this is a real thing. I need to get moving. So real quickly, more or less, the vaccine mandates came in. And once the mandates came in in Canada, it was very ferocious and very harsh here in Canada. You couldn't go in any couldn't go in, into any businesses. Even a lot of the grocery stores weren't letting people in. So your access to just basic goods and services were no good. I couldn't go into hockey rings, couldn't go into bars, couldn't go into restaurants. Life became very uh, futile and lonely and, and difficult, especially if you were <laughs> surprised, uh, unvaccinated. Um, I think the percentage of vaccine, they say it's about 95%. It could be more here in Canada or less rather, not really too sure. But uh, either way, I was very much in the minority. So um, more or less, my decision at that point was I had contacts and access to a large 3,000 acre ranch in northern Canada. Um, Canada, for those who know, is a very large hinterland of, of wild, massive boreal forests and the Canadian Shield, it's called here. And um, 
even quickly, statistically about Canada, about 95% of the Canadian population lives within a 100 mile radius of the US Canadian border. And of that percentage, about 84% live in Southern Ontario, up and along the St. Lawrence River to Montreal and on Ottawa. So geographically, if you were to look at a map of Canada, there's a little tip in Ontario and truly out of a 40 million population, you have about in the Toronto and GTA, greater Toronto area, close to half of the population I'd say lives there up and along, up into Montreal, Ottawa, the lower mainland of Vancouver on the BC West coast. You have some people that live there, Edmonton, Calgary, even Winnipeg's a smaller city, like (laughs) not, it's a very, it's a very congested and, and condensed population in a very large country. So I kind of thought of it as I need to get outside of that 99th percentile and uh, start up, uh, build a parallel system. Obviously, you and I are both friends with uh, Parallel Mike. Shout out to Parallel Mike. Uh, wonderful, wonderful human being. I can't talk enough about that. He's got bad teeth, like, but uh, the guy's more scared of an orthodontist than he is of the dentist, I think, or of, uh, of the government. He's more scared of an orthodontist. But um, beyond that, he's an incredible guy. And I, I became fast friends with him really quickly. And uh, yeah, so I was up there um, learning how to hunt and trap and garden and, and farm and live off grid, collecting far or collecting firewood every day. Completely different life experience from what I was used to living in a, in a city setting. And uh, more or less, the recent uh, development for me was that while I was out there, although it was very rewarding and excellent, uh, I was also very single and lonely. <laughs> and a part of my goal and my mission. Johnny was to come back to the uh, populated parts of Canada and find myself a girl and a partner. And uh, I will happy, happily say to the audience for anybody who could care, which is probably not very many, but I got her. I found one. So um, we're developing our relationship right now and we're really making real steps and real decisions right now to prepare, um, not only prepare and, and kind of build uh, the kind of life that we want that would uh, be founded upon not only our faith, but of course, uh, freedom. Um, because I just think that not only is freedom an essential aspect of what it means to be human, but I realized very quickly how much I valued it during the pandemic when it was taken away. So, um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. It's a, a bit of a backstory. And, and so for right now, today, um, I'm back in Ontario in the, the populated area of congestion and, and heavy traffic, but probably not going to be a lot longer, to be honest. So. Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, uh, well, there's, there's loads of stuff to get into that, but it's uh, it's awesome that you found a that you found a girl. I'm assuming she's a based she's a based woman as well. It's uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it's it's great yeah. it's great to find them. I, I mean, that's that's one of the things that's actually nice about this. I mean, some people like during this whole time when everything was going on with the COVID craziness, they were very like resistant to that. They were like, oh, how how am I going to find someone? Everyone's just like kind of gone into this zombie mode and it's just like following orders and doing all of this like irrational stuff. Like, how am I going to find someone? And I was like, this is, this could be a blessing or a curse because mm. it can be a blessing in the sense that you can actually look around and it's just like the filtering has been done for you. It's like the ultimate filter. It's like just filter out the NPCs who just, who just have believed <laughs> every last thing, filter them for all sure. out. And then just, you can just look to the freedom community and say, okay, like the chances are that we're going to like align, you know, a lot more closely. And I don't Hopefully. know, personally for me, I think that it's been the best time ever to find a, a relationship because you, you know, you can just immediately apply that filter and it, it can be like really, really useful to find someone that you genuinely, you know, uh, kind of vibe with. Exactly. And that's, 
like even because like I, I'd gone on a couple dates with uh, I don't know, I'm just talking about my dating life, but yeah, I, I'd gone on a couple ga- uh, dates when I came back and they were fine, but uh, just different value. And as soon as it came up, it was very evident very quickly. And then, yeah, when I found the girl that I'm with now, it was just like, are right, yeah, are you? Yes, are you? Yes, and then boom, like conversation takes off and you're off and running. And she's also attractive, which I appreciate. So that's a good thing too. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what as well, like I find if you if you live in your authentic path, you'll find the right people in your life, you know, like I really think that there's something to that, especially especially for men. If you're mm-hmm. like living your authentic truth, the right the, the right people and the right women, et cetera, will come into your life or the right woman, you know, like hopefully Powerful, it's yeah. the right woman. Um, I, I really think that that kind of reverberates out, you know, when you when you when you have that energy, when you're cultivating that energy and I think that um, good things happen, like positive things happen, especially in your dating life and stuff. So that's mm-hmm. awesome to hear. But I, I, um, I won't dwell on that too much more because it's your, it's your, your private life. But let's, uh, <laughs> let's just just rewind because I want to go back to to the beginning of you being a hockey player and everything, just to kind of set sure. the scene as as to your character because it's you know it sounds like you've had a really interesting kind of arc in your life. So when you were kind of I guess training to be a hockey player and you were playing professionally and everything. What was your what was your character like then? Like, what drove you? What was your what provided you meaning in life? Yeah, well, there, it's kind of a it's a twofold thing because so much of my identity for most of my life was wrapped up in the identity of being an athlete, and and that was actually a big aspect of my conversion to to, to Christianity and, and following Jesus was that I found an alternative and superior identity. I think, and even the title of my master's thesis was called the function of sport as ritual in modernity. And real quickly, like I would say that when I showed talent and promise as a young player, I found that the the mindset of an athlete is that you are, you're always used to kind of, I wouldn't say like necessarily being used to obeying orders, but you're always seeking acceptance because especially the higher up you go, if you're playing like AAA would be the level that we'd be here, which would be the highest because you're always seeking the approval of the coach because you need his approval to get more ice time. You're always seeking the approval to get through the tryouts and your life is a consistent stage of seeking the approval of others, which I found not only in myself, but also in many of the athletes that I grew up playing with or surrounded myself in. So some players find that as a real motivating factor, but I actually think that it's not necessarily a, a positive attribute um seeking the acceptance and approval of others is motivating but not necessarily right i would say philosophically um so that was certainly one motivating factor and even the personal motivation to seek the approval of my father cuz uh my old man like he he definitely pushed me really hard um so i would say that seeking the approval of others was a big part of my journey and uh, but past that, like I still had the same dream of of every Canadian player and every Canadian kid, which was to play in the NHL and, and win the Stanley Cup. So um, just that desire and that dream of, of lifting the cup for what is my favorite NHL team, which is the Toronto the Toronto Maple Leafs. Which for anybody who knows ice hockey a little bit, the Toronto Maple Leafs are one of hockey's biggest franchises, but they just suck immensely, and uh, they haven't won the Stanley Cup since 1967. So they're uh, enough on that that's another podcast in itself but um yeah so i'd say like the motivation to win the stanley cup and to seek the approval of others was two very big motivating factors in my own life um 
but for me, like after I converted to Christianity and, and, and found God, I would say, um, that changed dramatically for me, um, because I recognized that sport and hockey, rather than being a God that I could worship or the Stanley cup being a God that I was seeking to win and acquire meaning for life from, um, I found a new meaning and I recognized that I could just play hockey and sport for enjoyment. And that for me seemed to take a lot of pressure off of me. And once that pressure was off my shoulders, I found that I was able to play at a much superior level because I was able to play for fun and enjoyment and for, uh, yeah, like basically just because I enjoyed doing it. And, uh, once I learned that I really started to play a lot better actually. And I wish I knew that earlier. If I knew that earlier in my career, I probably could have done better, but that's all right. Way she goes. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so during the, the peak, during the, you know, when you were playing professionally, presumably like that was your, you know, it was, you were earning enough money from, from that. You were playing for one of the, the a decent team enough that you weren't having to work second job or anything. Cause I know in the UK, when we're talking about like football and stuff, you can kind of be like a semi-pro uh, footballer, or I think even you could consider yourself a pro football footballer. But if you're in like the lower leagues, it's not like amazing money, but I know that in Canada, like, if you're playing like hockey is the rock star sport, right? So I'm yeah. guessing that you were, you were able to earn a, a full-time income for the time you were, you were playing professionally. Is that right? Uh, I would no. So like, that's where I should be more clear. It's like, I was playing like a lower level as well. Um, which again, it was great. Like the talent okay. of those players is, was, was superior and you are making money. Like probably not the millions like the actual like the nhl players but yeah like a lot of guys who play like lower level pro depending yeah. on where you are you can still make enough money on the weekly or the annual to get by yeah. so you're playing but not the millions of dollars that the nhl players are making okay yeah but it's but it's high stakes there right oh but high they, they call it the iron league or the the always hungry league like the the lower level pro leagues because uh -huh. just like any sport like you're always competing. You're always seeking to get up to the next level. When money gets involved, the sport becomes way more competitive. Guys, it's just different. Like it becomes more selfish because your teammates are also your co-competitors because you're competing against them to get to that higher level. Um, I think people, although we glamorize and, and kind of worship professional sports in a lot of ways behind the scenes, uh, it's actually quite, I don't know. I don't want to use the word dark or sinister because there are really good elements to it as well. But uh, money drives and motivates people to do, do things. Right. So, um, I think for me, it was a bit more, I finished university at 25. So when I entered like playing and looking to play like professional more, more consistently, um, I was already old <laughs> straight up. And like, I, I was playing on a team and looking to play on a team where I just kind of recognized that my playing opportunity was not going to be at the same level as, uh, like the lower 18, 19, 20 year old draft picks um, because they had a lot of money invested in them at an early age. Um, so I kind of recognized very quickly after really only two years that it wasn't really worth putting my body through that kind of uh, <laughs> pain and effort and gruel when I can get into coaching, which is something I enjoyed a lot anyway. Plus, uh, yeah, I put a lot of work into my education and uh, I tried to put some money into my brain and uh, I didn't want to take a a punch to the head or, or a body check that could uh, put me down and out. So um, ice hockey is still a pretty rough sport. So one body check is all it needs to, to take you out. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know that um, from your conversation with Mike, I was kind of refreshing myself on it recently, which by the way, it, 
I would definitely recommend people go and check out that conversation as well because that was a, that was really really awesome and uh, I learned a lot about you and just some of the philosophy that you talk about is great as well. So if I remember, I'll put a link to that in the description. I, I never actually remember. I always promise this and don't do it, but I will try to remember. And if I don't do it, then someone like <laughs> send me a message or something. But um, yeah, anyway, in, in that conversation, uh, you said that you were doing philosophy, right? Uh, is that what you were studying? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, I think for me, I. Again, like I never fully understood what philosophy was. Um, like a lot of people think they know what it is, um, because again, in our modern world, we only think of uh, education or university in terms of its practical application, in the sense of like what kind of a job can you get, and that's all that people think about. Like, what kind of a job can you get, and what kind of money can you make? Um, but for me, like the desire to switch into philosophy was grounded in a an internal existential desire for knowledge. And just to learn not only about life and myself, but God and existence. And I was just so passionate and so fascinated. And I, I found very quickly that as I talked more and more with educated people that because I was pretty passionate, I was one of those freaking annoying in your face Christians. I was trying to evangelize and proselytize everybody. And, and I recognized very quickly that there are very intelligent people of all walks of life. And uh, I just knew that I didn't really have the skill set to talk and to reason well and effectively. So I started studying, yeah, like logic and deductive reasoning, inductive reasoning. And, and that just kind of led me on a path of this, just wanting to learn more and more. And um, eventually that turned into a fully fledged uh, degree. So I got a, a philosophy and theology degree and a history of my history minor, I believe for my bachelor. And then um, I went to uh, get a master's degree from that in philosophy right after. And uh, that was excellent really, really excellent. And then, um, yeah, I think I was able to piece it together a little bit with a, with a pretty decent and, and solid thesis defense, which I was happy about, which was, um, I kind of mentioned it earlier, a function of sport or the function of sport is ritual and modernity. And uh, a 20 second summary of the thesis idea is that I was tracing sports in antiquity. So sports in the ancient world and tracing that function of what sports represented and how sports were played in the ancient world and comparing that to modern sports like ice hockey, uh, soccer, or sorry, uh, so I guess you guys call it football in England. I always forget that football, um, American football, like all the different sports that we know. And more or less what I was kind of saying was that modern sports and modern trophies like the Stanley cup function as like symbols and images of ancient vestiges of glory because in the ancient world in particularly in ancient Greece and ancient Rome, like the bedrock of Western civilization, people don't, a lot of people don't know this, but the ancient athletes actually competed um, for cups as well. And they competed for things like bowls and cups. And people don't really know like the symbolism of why a lot of our modern trophies, like the Stanley cup or the Wimbledon uh, plate, like a lot of these objects that we use as our trophies why are they cups and bowls? Like, what's the symbolism of that? Well, the symbolism is that in ancient Greece, they they valued this notion of glory so intensely that that's what they competed for in their sports. They competed for money and fame and all those things also. But for the ancient Greeks, the, the, the most powerful philosophical concept that they derived their meaning for life from was this notion of glory or the Cleon Pantheos or Narcissus, which is that as long as they write your name down forever and ever, you shall live forever and ever. Because the ancient Greeks were obsessed with the notion of living forever, because they knew obviously you're going to die. 
how do you maintain living after you die? So that's what sports and glory and battle and the story of Achilles is all about when you read the story of Achilles and the story of Troy from Odysseus and stuff is that um, when given the choice, Achilles was like, I could have a happy life and live with a wife and kids, or I can have a glorious life and die in battle, but people will remember my name forever. So in the ancient world, when the athletes who won, when they would win their, uh, like they would throw their javelin toward the altar or they would wrestle in front of the altar. And basically the winning athletes would perform a sacrifice of a bull on the altar after they won. And they would capture the blood of the sacrificial goat or the sacrificial bull in the bowl or in a cup because the blood was a symbol of their glory. And they'd often inscribe their names on the cups or bowls so that their names would live on. And it was all wrapped up in this notion of glory. And basically I was just kind of saying in my paper, that's the same with modern sports. Um, like even in the Stanley cup, for example, when the winning team wins the Stanley cup, what do they do? They write all the names down to the players on the cup. And it's the same notion. And I would say it's a pagan notion. It's a pagan notion that like you can attain eternal glory and eternal life through your name being written down. And uh, anyway, so I found things like that very interesting because like so much of my own life, I was seeking that same kind of glory, seeking the approval of others, seeking this kind of like purpose of life found in sport. And it's deeper than modern translations or modern interpretations of sport because a lot of modern interpretations of, of sport are just very weak. Like they're very Marxian interpretations, which is basically like, oh, people play sports for money which is basically like kind of based on Karl Marx's idea of the, of the proletariat and the masses being fooled because the masses are stupid. So rich overlord bourgeoisie capitalists owners more or less milk the poor for their money using sport as a medium to make money. And it, it's, it's fine. Like honestly, like that's included in the idea of sport. Like there are p- monies involved and that's a key aspect of sport, no doubt, but it doesn't really capture the essence of, of what is like the, the motivating force or the actual spiritual power or essence of what sports is. And, um, and then the other idea of, of sports is more of an ethnological or scientific based argument for sport, which is that um, humans evolved and we evolved based on the desire for survival. And we play sports and invented sports because sports enhance our fitness levels And that's why we play sports. And I just find that idea like very weak. Like, sure, like people obviously play sports because it helps them get in better shape. Like there are fat slobs who play hockey because they want to get in better shape. And people play football and soccer because it helps them. But it doesn't really capture, again, the passion or the essence of what sports is because um, like hockey players will go and block a 100 mile per hour slap shot with their face or break their ribs or they'll fight and they'll shed blood. And you, I said this, like you're from Britain and you know, the passion probably better than I do in a lot of ways of like what football means to a fan in Arsenal or a fan for Nottingham or like whatever the teams are out there. Like I enjoy soccer. It's great. But like, I just kind of find it kind of weak because the players are kind of soft, but no, I'm just kidding. That's just a backhand, but it doesn't capture like the real passion and the spiritual essence of what sports are. And again, more Marxian or ethnological interpretations of sport, they're they're overall atheistic, like they're grounded in a naturalistic worldview, which doesn't allow for spirituality. It doesn't allow for the notion of spiritual ideas or spiritual forces. And uh, even, for example, like just real quickly tying this in, because like now I'm talking about sports and uh, obviously I want to talk about other ideas as well. But sports are very common, like with the notion of moments when one team will get like a very big body check or another team gets a goal or a a score, the entire momentum of a game can go the other way. 
And all of a sudden, if you're winning, the momentum turns against you. And it's like, oh, man, like the other team is rolling all over us now. And what is that? It's not a quantifiable, measurable decimal of unit of force. Like, obviously, it can be measured in the sense of its sound or its effect. But uh, the actual cause of of it of itself is a spiritual force. So um, I think just like my ideas and theories were a little bit, uh, I think, a little bit more grounded in reality of what sports are. And I think a, a Christian and biblical worldview actually can best explain um, some of the realities that we perceive that are so basic to us every day, like sport, that uh, just kind of like modern interpretations are kind of weak on. So anyway, that was a, a little bit of my defense of philosophy. I found it very interesting, very explanatory, helpful for for someone like me who was trying to, just like every human being, I think, trying to derive uh, meaning from this little blue planet that we call Earth. And uh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if you um, if you happen to hear my conversation I had with Jordan Goldstein. Do you know Jordan Goldstein? Um, know the name. I, sh- I should check out that one, though. Jordan Goldstein. Uh, um, episode 40 with Jordan Goldstein. It's called Embodying Freedom Through the Ancient Wisdom of Sport. This conversation, like, completely opened my mind to this stuff. And, like, uh, I don't know. I didn't have that much of an interest in it, honestly. Like, I mean, I had an interest in sport, but not on that deeper philosophical level. But I had that conversation and I was just like, oh my God, there's just so much more to this that I don't know. And I really felt like that conversation kind of ignited something in me to kind of like go more down this um, this avenue of like philosophy and sport coming together and what that means. And yeah, you're right. Like the ancient, like the way that people used to play sport in, in the kind of ancient world kind of just tells you something not only about just like how sport has changed, but also how like the human spirit has changed in a way and the way Mm -hmm. that we actually kind of relate to our own um, like mortality and to our own like purpose in the world. They seem to just have this, like you said, this um, kind of attachment to, not attachment, it's attachment probably the wrong word. In fact, it's probably the opposite. They didn't actually have an attachment to the physical in such the same way as we do now, they were more like they, they were still somehow connected to the spiritual realm. And they were like, I just want glory here. And I want to, and that's all I want. Like the spiritual, you know, the spiritual world was where their connection seemed to be. And sport was kind of an arena to play out. Um, like it was almost like they, they saw this world as a, and this is obviously just my interpretation from just, yeah, sure. well, that conversation, but also kind of like, you know, thinking more about it since it was almost like, they they could see that this world was like a playground of of like how can i like um how can i achieve my purpose how can i transcend and sports seem to be kind of like a vehicle to do that and i think that now there are still some um people in sport who do it and i think you can really recognize them i mean i was watching um recently i don't know if you've seen this um this documentary on netflix about conor mcgregor uh i think it's called mcgregor forever <laughs> and um I watch that guy and I'm like, he is just operating on another level. He, he really is just, for him, it's a spiritual game. And, 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 you know, like UFC is kind of like this, this battleground, but what he's actually doing is he's competing almost against his own, um, his own nature in some ways. Like what's the best I can be. And sport is just, just happens to be the thing that he's picked to do that. But I don't know, I guess you could probably say that great artists would they, would do the same thing, like a really great artist. The art is just how can I kind of manifest my highest like spiritual essence in this work that I'm doing. I'm using, you know, these tools. This is just my playground. But what they're actually trying to do is kind of communicate spirit in some way and to try and try to connect with spirit. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I find this this stuff like super interesting. So if, if people want to know more about this, definitely check out. 
Uh, I will. And, and I, yeah. I want to comment on that real quick. And then if we want to change direction, yeah. because this yeah, is yeah, a sure, sure. Go for even the name of the title, Connor Forever, is telling forever. Because I'll tell you what happened when when the Greco-Roman world kind of uh, met with the Christian world and like the Judeo-Christian worldview sort of interacted for the first time. Because um, in the early church, in the early like stages of Christianity, um, Greco, like the, the, one of the undergirding philosophical ideas of Greece, especially in that time, was this notion of Platonism, which is that there's a, a separation and a dualism between the body and the soul. And they're distinct entities like the soul is a spiritual essence, not grounded in physical reality. It's immaterial and the body is physical and material. And a large concept of both Platonism and Gnosticism was to have the internal immaterial soul descend and transcend or like ascend and transcend the physical material world up into heaven, so to speak. And that idea is actually kind of in in just just juxtaposition with the Christian worldview, because the Christian worldview affirmed the two realities, both physical and spiritual, as both thoroughly real, intertwined, and equally real. So what you see with like the resurrection of Jesus was that the resurrection was not a spiritual event. It was actually a physical, and I, again, like as a Christian believing this, but like it was a concrete, physical, material uh, reality that occurred. So when you come across notions like the platonic or the greco idea of like living forever and your name living forever like my response is actually like will that work like do you actually truly like live forever like with a with a consciousness and a physical body that moves and operates and lives probably not like um like when you read the ancient accounts of like the ancient athletes uh, they used to uh some of the more successful athletes in the ancient Greco Roman games, because these guys were this, they were, they were the, they were studs, man. Like these ancient Greek athletes, they did one thing all day, just like our modern athletes. They train to win. They train to win. And they would actually um, pay out rhetoricians and poets and playwrights to speak of them, to gain like wide followings and audiences. It was actually super cool. Like imagine like some poet like Pindar or some like, epic rhetorician going into the marketplaces, like announcing your presence so that all the fans will like join your side and stuff. Really, really cool stuff. Um, but when you read these accounts of these guys, like very few modern people today are going to be aware of like, um, antic, like Antichabalus of, of, of Thesbia, like these guys who are like the, the goats, like the freaking goats of their time. And, that's just like kind of my counter as like a Christian and where these comments and like these, these things become interesting because the Christian idea is that you will attain and you will achieve eternal life at the bodily second coming of Jesus Christ. When he comes again, and he gives you eternal life. Like that's what will actually give you like a physical concrete, fully conscious reality because the pagan idea of like living forever in memory if it's true, it's weak. Like it's fine. Like I, again, like Achilles, whether he was a real person or not, like we don't, we do know him, but I don't think he knows us. You know what I mean? So that was just kind of like, again, some of the ideas where I try to counter the atheistic worldview because more or less these ideas like the Marxian or the ethnological or even the ancient Greco pagan ideas, like I just, I just kind of find them weak. Like I, I just don't find that they give enough value or meaning because so much of my own life as an athlete before Christ was trying to derive meaning in 
an object like the Stanley Cup, which is like, if I can lift this thing, then my life will finally have purpose. I train eight hours a day, every day to win this thing, to lift it, to gain the approval of my dad, to gain the approval of all my co, my teammates, my coaches, all these people I've been trying to work for and attain my whole life. And for me, a big part of my own reason why I converted was I was like, man, I just found acceptance in Christ. I didn't really need to keep seeking it. So that's, yeah. <laughs> okay, cool, man. I, I find this, this stuff super interesting. I, I love, um, I love delving into it all, but I want to move on to, to, to something you just give me a nice kind of tail end of here, which is, uh, the basically like your journey towards Christianity and stuff. So is that something you were raised with or is it something you came to later in life? It, it was, um, I was very fortunate to have two sets of very loving grandparents and, and, uh, even my parents too, like truly wonderful people. Like, and, uh, and I even say too, like psychologically, a, a big part for every child is to forgive their parents of their errors and their falls or their flaws. I think that's actually, that was a big thing for me. Like once I recognized I could forgive them for their mistakes and errors in my upbringing, like, um, it was a very powerful thing, but yeah, I would just say for me, it was. I've, I've kind of touched on it a bit, like always kind of seeking the approval of others, um, struggling with the sense of uh, rejection. And uh, for those, again, those, the Freudians out there listening to this are like, oh, this is a classic Freudian example. He's looking to this man-made God in the sky to like create and provide acceptance for himself. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that that idea is false. Um, a craving for acceptance is a human need, I'd say, even though if maybe it affected me a bit more. But um, the second thing was that as I was playing more and more hockey, I just got caught up in the the typical hockey lifestyle of partying and <laughs> drinking and womanizing like all the rest. And um, although very fun and not, I won't say that all partying is necessarily bad. It's great to go out with your buddies and your mates, as you British guys would say, your, your, your mates and your blokes, grab a couple of beers and have a good time. Like nothing wrong with that. But um, for me, like kind of the the waking up the next morning of getting drunk, trying to pick up girls with very bad pickup lines and doing that again the next day, like uh, it just kind of kept on on repeat. Um, and then also probably the biggest motivating factor for me was uh, I had a very good friend, uh, Jordo, who was uh, an outspoken and, and courageous Christian guy who was also a hockey player. And uh, his brother, Joel, actually is a good friend of mine, too. Joel plays in the NHL right now. And uh, but Jordan was a great player and a great guy. And, and he was really challenging me a lot. And he was a smart guy. And, and he was asking me a lot of existential questions and, and really challenging me on the Bible. And um, that was piquing my interest more and more. And then uh, sadly and unfortunately, my buddy Jordan passed away one day um, at the age of 23. And, and when he passed away, that was a big wake up call for me um, because of Jordan, who was like a good friend and um, who loved me a lot and, and, uh, you know, spent that time with me and, and he was a big, strong guy too. Like always going to the gym, if, if any, if something like that could happen, if he could, if he could die, then, then I could too. And, um, that for me was like a big wake up call where I was like, I need to take my life seriously. And, uh, for me, that kind of led to more persistent prayer and more persistent, um, reading of the, of the scriptures and reading different verses like the, the verse for me was uh matthew 7 13 enter through the narrow gate for wide is the gate and wide is the road that leads to destruction and many will pass through it but narrow is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life and few find it and i just kind of remember moments like that really believing and thinking like it actually it, it didn't matter and it doesn't matter who i am like how many goals i score or, or how cool i think i am like 
this seems to be true. And if true, this seems to be of more importance than anything else on earth. And combining that with like Giorgio's death and, and the, the reality facing me of my own mortality, um, that was, that was my wake up call. So I kind of reached out and, and gave my prayer to, to Jesus. And, and I really felt like that God met me in a very real and powerful way. And, um, that was more than, uh, I was 20 at the time and I'm 33 now. So, uh, yeah, more than 13 years ago. So still, uh, still going strong. Okay. So, yeah, I, I mean, I guess that is, I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like super, early, super early. It seems like 20, you know, you've already kind of like formed a lot of your opinions. Like most people, if they're 20 and haven't found something like religion, probably would say, oh, well, I'm, I'm just not a religious person, right? Like I didn't grow up with it. It's not going to happen. So I, I guess like, I'm really interested to know, and I kind of say this as someone who's like very curious about religion generally, but probably especially so like Christianity, just, you know, maybe, I, I don't know whether it's just a cultural thing, but I personally feel like there's some, something there that's like a real substance there. Maybe if I'd been raised in a, for instance, like a Buddhist country or something, I might have, you know, more of an association with that or whatever. But certainly like from my perspective, there just seems to be a lot of inherent truth there. But I do find that like some people, they really, really believe, like I have family who like, they, they really, really, really believe like half my family is like incredibly uh, religious and like they have absolute unwavering faith. And, mm. you know, they kind of want, uh, you know, not, not like want, want me to get there, but there's, there's kind of like these gentle nudges towards it. Like, you know, <laughs> and I understand it because if you really believe that, like you're going to, you're going to want to get other people on board and stuff. But For sure. I've not ever found that thing in my life that has kind of been like, okay, I have absolute unwavering um, devotion towards, oh, I guess like there's things that I call God. So I don't want to say I don't have unwavering devotion towards God because I, you know, I do think that I use the word God and I have associations with it and, and things sure, that, sure, I, sure. that I think about and things that I, you know, I definitely, I'm not one of these people who's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I just don't necessarily subscribe to the kind of orthodox christian version of god but how does that look to you as someone who really has been i i guess gone into that and felt okay i've been spoken to you know presumably you have you've got the message you've been communicated to in that way what does that look like you know i'm, I'm really interested to, to to know this yeah well first god has spoken to me and me alone exclusively so join my cult and uh give me all your money so that's the first step of christianity and then second is no i'm just kidding um if your family's giving you the nudge, I'll give you the elbow because uh, no, I'm just kidding again. Sorry, I got I to gotta be more, fear, more serious. Um, C.S. Lewis is one of my favorites, and he's British, so I'll, I'll mention him. Um, he has a quote where he just kind of says that in the man's search for God, all the onus, in, all the onus is on God's side. Um, because even, let's just not even use like an Orthodox Christian example of God, but like God is the transcendent God is the higher power, like whatever that is like, like really like as human beings, like we're comparable to an ant trying to understand the galaxy. Like it, it's very difficult and Christianity kind of works in paradoxes. For example, Christianity really emphasizes these two notions, truth and love. And both of them are kind of synonymous and the exact same, but different where you cannot be truly loving to somebody unless you're telling them the truth. But also when you're telling somebody the truth, you must do it in love or else it's not going to register because it'll either be too harsh or too, it just won't kind of catch on. And 
with that notion too, both reason and passion, like those two notions philosophically are always kind of two embodiments of the human experience that we're always trying as humans to try to balance the two. Like if you're trying to explain the world thoroughly and only rationally, you're not going to connect with people because we're more than that as humans. Like we're also emotional and passionate and very irrational for we'll do things for no reasons. You're like, why did you do that? Like that was dumb, but we do it. And um, but if you also try to like register with people purely and thoroughly emotionally, like you're leaving out another part of what it means to be human, which is the search for meaning and truth. And, and in Christianity, you have such a high regard for both reason and truth, passion and yeah, like love and truth, passion and reason. Um, but at the same point, while we have such a regard for, we also kind of like will point out like, yeah, you know, we try really hard, but also like humans, we are so small. And like, how can one little person like say PJ buys, I'm born in 21st century, modern secular day Canada. And this is more of a Nietzschean argument now, like we're all grounded and embedded in our own history. We all have our cultural biases, our own tendencies. We have our family upbringings. We're raised conservative, liberal. We all have our own peaks and flaws and our own failures and sins. Like we all have these different things that kind of encapsulate it. And this is where I kind of would say really all of that doesn't matter compared to the 15 second moment of God, if you're real, show yourself to me. Because you can do all these things. You can study reason and philosophy and logic and read the Bible and all those things. I encourage anybody to do that. Why not? Um, but God, the transcendent, speaks to every person kind of in their own unique way. Because God, I believe at least, God created everybody unique. And I would just say one thing that I would believe based on my own experience of life is that when God speaks to you and what I'd say when is I think God and Jesus are the same. When Jesus speaks to you, he speaks to your heart. And you kind of know it's him sometimes. And, and that's kind of like the most simple and childlike way of understanding it. If you if you say like your own family too, John, like if they have unwavering faith, uh, I would like some because my faith is not unwavering. Um, I have struggles and I have doubts. Uh, for me personally, a lot of my doubts have maximalized during the last two years because I had such a, even now I struggle with it, man. Like I really struggle with apathy. Um the last two years for me, like really kind of crushed my spirit in a lot of ways because I kind of saw and I still see like what's happening and what's kind of going on. I'm just so discouraged by, by what I thought was a population that had more spirit and had more care and passion for things like truth and meaning and purpose. Like it, it kind of sucked being locked down in Canada where you're not allowed to leave outside your front door for weeks on end and you're just told why and because there's a disease that's deadly, even though it has a 99.98% survivability rate. Like there are things about human experience that are very discouraging, but I don't know, man, just for me, like I would just say I've had so many experiences that were so thoroughly miraculous and supernatural that I just can't not only deny it, but I couldn't affirm the alternative. Um, Cause like for me, I just kind of think of it as like there's theism which is that there's a, trans a transcendent God that is distinct and different from the creation. So creator, create creation. There's like a pantheism or panentheism, which is that the universe or God is kind of simultaneous with the universe. So the universe itself has like a consciousness. 
And I actually Ooh, think okay, Christian yeah, Eriksen, I'm in that camp. I've not heard it phrased that way before, but that is definitely that describes quite accurately the way I feel about things. Yeah, and then and then there's atheism, which is more or less like no god, no transcendence, no spiritual, like it's all just physical boom, here we are kind of thing and I just anyway, I don't have a lot of time for that one respectfully for those atheists who are listening, but the panentheism one is curious and interesting because for me especially I really like what's called romanticism, which was a period of philosophy and history, kind of like circa 17th, 18th century, which was a response to like the hardcore rationalism of the Enlightenment period, where especially in like the modern or especially in Europe at that time, like there's such a high regard for science and objectivity and reason and all good things. And yeah, yeah, I get it. But like the romantic response was like, let's actually return to seeing nature, not just as like pure object, but as like infused with spirit and passion and these really passionate ideas of like art where you can like experience a storm or experience um, like a beautiful sunset and really feel like a genuine spiritual power behind it. And I do, I'm all about that. I love it. Like those are like the, I, I feel like you and I could probably connect in that way because yeah. my personality is also very emotive in that sense. And I would just say that the Christian notion of God more or less says that all of creation is participating in God at all moments, but the creation is imbued with brokenness and sin and plagued with like just general kind of just brokenness in general but you can feel and sense the whispering of God in and through the creation because it says in Romans that God speaks to us through creation. And if you actually see like the wonder and the beauty of it all, it will kind of lead to the creator who exists both simultaneously and paradoxically within the creation, because all things like the earth isn't just sitting here on its own, just kind of like existing. It exists because God upholds it, but it also will point to, God, the creator of those things. So I just find that, again, Christianity always, it will always enhance human experience and enhance human beauty and enhance truth. Whereas I just find that other worldviews, they kind of diminish it. Um, And even mystery too, you talk about orthodoxy, like I would class myself, like I'm a Protestant Christian in that kind of like tradition, I guess, uh, evangelical or whatever. But the Orthodox tradition, which is like the Greek Orthodox or the Ukrainian Orthodox, like all these different kind of factions, they actually have a very high regard for mystery. And dude, mystery is powerful. Like as you get closer to mystery, it only becomes more exciting because there's something about mystery that draws us in as human beings. Like every great work of art or great, every great script of a movie or a book, if it has mystery, like it's drawing you in more and more. And that's the paradox of God again, is that the more that you learn about him, it's the transcendent, uh, the less, you know, <laughs> it's like, oh, frick, like, um, and, uh, we're all on our own path and journey to it, man. And, uh, I think if you're in the camp of like the, the, the spirit and vibe, like a spirit imbued world, like you're in the right, you're like, you're walking on the right step. Like you and I are walking on the same ground at the very least. So. That's what I kind of say. Just some thoughts like off the top of my head. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about some of the ways you can support my work. 
The first is via Buy Me A Coffee, where you can give a one-off donation or join one of the three membership tiers that are on there. And don't forget that you can also now book a one-on-one call with myself. So if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, then you'll probably already know my areas of interest and my areas of expertise. In particular, that would be moving and living abroad, freelancing and remote working, following your passions and working authentically in an industry that you care about, podcasting and content creation, and preserving and protecting your wealth with Bitcoin. These are definitely the key areas that I think that I can provide a lot of value. But if you want to talk to me about absolutely anything with a one-on-one call, then you can do that through Buy Me A Coffee now as well. As always, you can also support me with the Bitcoin tip. That's both on-chain and via the Lightning Network. And so far, I think I've only got one Bitcoin tip ever. So I'll tell you what, if you give me a Bitcoin tip for over $5, I don't know what that is in sats, but let's say $5, I will give you a shout out in the next episode. And finally, if you use my affiliate links, that's another great way of supporting me. So check out the link in the description for Surfshark VPN. This is simply the best VPN on the market. I've been using it for years and have never changed. I've got it on my computer, got it on my phone. I use it all the time for everything. So if you're not using VPN, you absolutely should be. It's the best way to protect your privacy online. And in my experience, Surfshark is the best VPN going. It's also very, very competitively priced. And if you get it now with my affiliate link, you will get 82% off and two months free. So I promise you will not regret using Surfshark VPN. It's a really, really great product. I wouldn't shield for anything I don't truly believe in. I plan to add more affiliate links going forward. But for now, Surfshark's it. If you don't have a VPN, click that link. If you do have a VPN, consider switching to Surfshark. It is a great deal. And as I said, in my opinion, it's the best on the market. All right, that's enough of the ad break. If you haven't supported me already, please do consider it. Right now, I'm still not making enough from the show to pay for the outgoings. And I really do want to reach that milestone soon. All right, appreciate you all. Back to the episode. Yeah, 100%. Um, Yeah, I mean... I don't know. There's another documentary I would chill on on Netflix, and it's about Ram Das. I don't know if you know too much about Ram Das. I'm writing it down right now. Yeah, Ram, Ram Das, um, and the the documentary I think is called Going Home or Coming Home or something. And basically, it's about uh, Ram Das. He's basically dying, and he was a kind of a big like um, he's kind of like a spiritual guru. I mean, he 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 had a guru, but I think he was also like a teacher. And he was teaching a lot of kind of, I guess, like um, East, more Eastern philosophy, but mm-hmm. um, may, maybe there was some kind of a, a unique thing there. I've never read any of his work, so I'm really keen to do so. But there was this line in this um, in this documentary that he says, and he's kind of contemplating his own death because he's had a stroke and he knows he's going to die. And Ooh. he's having like the ultimate spiritual experience of his life. Like he's been hunting all his life for this spiritual kind of holy grail. And he's, and he's experiencing it in his death. So he's like, he's basically facing death, like down the barrel of a gun. And he's like, oh, well, this is, this is the ultimate kind of place to understand the nature of my, my own existence, you know, because he's really feeling his own mortality. And one of the thing, one of the lines that he says is, um, he says, we pinch ourselves to know we're alive. He used this line in there and I, every time I'd heard this line before ever in my life, I'd always thought that it's about, okay, well, yeah, of course you pinch yourself, you know, you're alive. Like it's something that we do in waking life. You pinch yourself, you know, you have the sensation. Ah, I know I'm alive. But I realized when he said it in this film, I was like, that's what consciousness is doing. That's actually what consciousness is doing. That's what the universe is doing. The all of existence is the universe pinching itself to know that it exists if the universe has to experience separation in order to know that something exists there, it's almost like if the universe, if there's no change, if there's no nothing, if there's no contrast or anything in the world, what is it? It's just the universe cannot know know itself. 
So it's almost like universe has to separate. There has to be a separating of kind of universal, whatever this kind of like consciousness is of all mm. of everything, you know, the ultimate thing has to separate and have a experience. And we call that the human experience. And this is my current, you know, working theory. I'm not claiming to know, know the not meaning awesome. of life here, but people can you know, <laughs> take or leave what they want of it. But it's almost like we're having this human experience now. This is the the separation experience. This is the kind of, you know, the separation of the um the the separation of the of the the all right and after we die you know my my belief is i don't know whether it's after each individual die probably after each individual dies you you rejoin the universal consciousness so that's when you kind of experience the the oneness again and i call that god and i don't know when i when i talk about this whether i'm talking about a different god as um a religious person would or you know a christian for instance because yeah. For instance, when I hear about the story of, uh, you know, kind of like taking the fruit from the, uh, I think it's the fruit from the forbidden tree, right? You know, the, the yeah. whole idea That's that right, like, yeah. you know, you take, you take the fruit. There, there is the, I interpret this story and I think it's almost like a metaphor for the same thing I'm talking about. So I'm not sure there's any difference because if the metaphors work identically, maybe we're talking about the same thing. But to, to go into that point, this idea of like taking the fruit from the, from the, from the tree, it's almost like you want to... It, this this quest for knowledge about the nature of what you are, you take the fruit and then you are put into this new world. And I see that almost as if like what consciousness is doing. It's like, we've taken the fruit from the forbidden tree, like the, the, the con- consciousness has done this. And now we're in this separation world where we, we wanted to know what we are. So here we are, you're having this human experience. You wanted to know what it is. And then only in having that, when you kind of like reunify, can you then experience what everything is and um i think i look at that similarly to the kind of garden of eden story like there was no change there was just pure bliss there was pure you know like there was no pain or suffering etc so you know you take the fruit from the bidden forbidden tree or in the case you know this was the case for, for eve fruit from the bidden tree now you're in the world where suffering exists now you're in the world where difference exists mm-hmm. where it's not just pure pure bliss and ex and ecstasy that has to, has to happen in order to kind of like reunify and to know what God is. You have to kind of have that separation experience. And maybe maybe this interpretation is all over the place and, and I haven't thought it through, but I'm just interested to know whether you look at stories like this in the Bible, because I see a lot of them. It's not, that's just one example, but you know, resurrection and all these other things. I can very much see them through a lens of a similar way that I see the universe, which isn't necessarily a kind of like Christian God per se, right. but I can see the parallels there and I can say, ah, you know, you exchange the word God for consciousness and, and and you can take the stories maybe a bit more metaphorically and they seem to be doing the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm worrying, I'm wondering just what you think about that generally. So really good. Can I offer some counter thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Please, please do. <laughs> so first about like the Genesis story is that in reality, it probably is like a mythological account. It probably wasn't a literal piece of fruit that exists today hidden in the Sahara. If you dig in the right spot, you'll eat it. And also you get like supernatural energy. Um, it is a story. No, Very I much don't think it is. Is that all? No. no, exactly. So and I was saying like, I'm agreeing with you in that. Mm-hmm. But so if let's just consider then like, you talk about like consciousness or say after we got, we die, like we, we reemerge into the consciousness, like the universal consciousness is in your understanding, like, is that consciousness like thoroughly just mental and spiritual or does it include physical as well? 
Yeah, I don't think it includes any physical whatsoever. I think okay. that, phys- that the, the existence of physical is the existence of separation. Essentially, like if there is an existence of matter, you're in the separated thing. I don't think there's such a concept of matter in the unified um, in okay. the unified consciousness. Yeah. So, and maybe just again, like I'll just kind of explain some of the Christian ideas a bit more, because then, because again, like in the Bible, the idea is that like God created like the world and he said it's very good and he created the physical world too and when i think about like consciousness or even a conscious existence like if you are in a state like what you're kind of describing can you eat food probably not like a part of the joy of also like being human is that if you eat like a really juicy uh plum or a mango it's the physical taste of it that's enjoyable same with sounds like beautiful sound like music requires ears um, beautiful sights like an ocean or whatever it is for me, a hockey rink or mountains, they require eyes. Um, even like say a relationship with one another. Uh, so for me say I have a girlfriend and I like her. <laughs> um, if I talk to her, <laughs> if I talk to her on the phone or if we are simply having like a FaceTime, it's enjoyable because it's more mental, but like being able to hold her and to touch her and to kiss her like these, those are superior modes. And I would just say that the joy and even maybe a purpose, maybe a foundational purpose of why God created was that we would be in relationship both with not only one another, but with God himself, who in Jesus actually is a physical person as well, who has hands and blood and flesh. And the joy of that and the joy of that experience is like in the same way that I just said that you will have a body to eat and to see and all these things because those are good things. So in the more Eastern traditions and the Eastern religious views, I think they actually have compared to that Christian ideal, which may, let's just leaving aside if it's true or false for now, but like at least the notion is that the physical world is also good and true. And then now combating it, I just say a bit more from a philosophical perspective is that for example, atheism has the view that the universe came into existence. And for like for thousands of years, the view was always that the universe itself was eternal. It didn't require or need a God to create it because the universe was eternal. I think there's good evidence now to suggest and think that no, like actually the world and universe that we experience today had a beginning, which necessitates the fact that if it has an like if it had a what's the cause of the effect that we see here and now and i think you just kind of it just seems it seems difficult for me to think of like the universe as a self-existent self-conscious and aware entity that's existed for eternity when one of the strengths and pillars of western philosophy and western civilization because we always denigrate it and there's good reason to but like we denigrate western philosophy one of the strengths of Western philosophy was the sciences and the study of the, the physical world. And it just kind of seems to me as well, like the study and one of the strengths of the physical world or the study of the physical world, especially in the last 100 years of cosmology is that the world and exer- universe as it is, does seem to have a beginning. And that was kind of like a big hit back to the atheists who are like, Oh, the universe is, is eternal because what caused it? And again, just, we don't like, we just, I just think that we don't like answers like that because what I think what I've realized and understood of one of my primary reasons why I've seen people object to Christianity for me as a millennial, a lot of my hockey friends, they don't like Christianity because they think that it means you can't have sex. 
<laughs> uh, or you have to like be married to have sex and like freak that. Like I want to, I'm like, okay, like that's one well, thing. What, what do you think about that? Like, do you, like, do you subscribe to that? Uh, I think that God really wants to have lots of awesome, passionate sex all the time and have lots of babies. Cause that's awesome. And to do so in marriage is probably the best way to do it. So that's kind of my quick take on that. And then the second take would be, um, and yeah, sex is probably again, like same thing, like we were saying before, it's a spiritual act as well. It binds you to somebody. It's not just some quick yeah, cheap thing yeah. you can just do. And anyway, so I've learned that the hard way as well. And then, um, but then the second objection is that immediately when we throw up the idea of God, it insinuates that I lose my freedom. And this is where it's so interesting, especially being on this on the Freedom Podcast, which I'm on, is that the, the the lesson of Genesis 3 that we were talking about before was that when Satan came to Adam and Eve, what did he say? He said, if you like eat this tree, if you eat of the free, if you eat of the tree of knowledge, you will become like God. And that's what in essence, what Christianity says is true Satanism. True Satanism is not, obviously it includes, it includes like the Malachian worship of like sacrificing children and eating flesh and witchcraft. Like it, it includes that. And I don't disagree. Like I don't deny, like those things are true and real. Uh, yeah. Maybe there are some of our political powers that are involved in that stuff. Let's get conspiratorial. But um, yep, it includes that. We all know really, it. Everyone yeah. knows it. Everyone kind of knows it. It's just like, uh, we know it happens, exactly. but like, let's, let's just keep it, keep that one parked for a while. Just so exactly. it still thinks that we have, we're not crazy. I know the next Tucker Carlson interview is going to be freaking wild about that. Uh, oh, dude, those, those, yeah, those interviews, uh, I don't know. I saw, yeah, let's not get into those ones too. I don't want to kill your flow, but yeah. No worries. But yeah, like getting back to the philosophy of it though, is that really true Satanism from a biblical perspective and what Jesus talked about a lot actually is the desire for the individual to be their own God, to choose right or wrong yeah. for themselves, to choose what they say is true or false, to experience and choose a reality of their own making and what's difficult about christianity and why it's so objected and abhorred is that it is that when jesus comes around and when he speaks he speaks with authority and he more or less says this like i'm the way and the truth like i kind of set the terms and then we hate that like i i hated it my whole life and even now like most of my day-to-day battle is like me deciding and choosing for myself as god what i want to do and what i think is right and how i should live my life compared to Jesus kind of like setting the tour, setting the terms and in doing so in my own life, I've recognized my own like just stupidity and folly in that because like I'm more or less every time I disagree with God or like, it just kind of, it's so silly. Like God comes to me, he's like, PJ, like I, I got an idea. Like I think this way of doing it will lead to more joy, more freedom, more love and more goodness. And I go, ah, no, I think you're wrong. And it's like, uh, I'm the self-existent, transcendent, all-knowing being that created the universe. And you're a dipshit. Like, it's not, it's just like, it's it's ridiculous. But like, 8 billion people on the planet every day do it. And that's the human condition from the Bible's perspective, is that we all choose to live as our own God. So again, like returning to C.S. Lewis, like Lewis says this, like, most of us think that like what Satan's trying to do is put ideas into our minds. But really what he's trying to do is just to try to keep us all away from it. Because really just keep living life as your own God, then he's got you. Like that's kind of the idea of the Christian notion is that God is the one trying to get our attention. He's the one speaking to us through the creation. He's the one using truth and beauty and love and all these notions. And he's wrapped that all up into the into Jesus Christ, 
who exemplified the most powerful act of love there was in the universe, which was dying for us on the cross. Because there's this Christian idea actually called superlapsinarianism. It's a big, long word. And I have a lisp, and I don't like saying that word, so I won't say it twice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Basically, what the idea is this, is that God in his wisdom, when he created the universe, is no fool. He knew that when he made that tree, the metaphorical tree, he knew that we were going to screw up. But if he knew he were going to screw up, why did he do it? Well, the reason is this. Potentially, the reason is this. Is that you can't really know bravery, for example, unless there's cowardice and obstacles and difficulty. You can't really know something unless there's something to know from. You can't really know what it's like to forgive somebody unless somebody's hurt you or harmed you. Um, you can't even really know like like I don't know, like what good steak tastes like unless you have something really crappy to compare it to. If you eat if you eat British cuisine every day, you won't know what good cuisine is. Like <laughs> But no, like if you if you only eat like bland rice, if you eat steak for the first time or like something really good, you're like, oh my goodness, like this is so much better. So the idea of superlapsinarianism is that the reason why God created the universe was that he would be able, therefore, to send his world, to send his son, Jesus Christ, into the world so that in a broken, fallen world, God can demonstrate his love for the, his demonstrate his love for us in this way. Romans 5, 3 that he would die for sinners, for people that hate him, for people that don't believe in him, for people that have no use for him, he would come and die for them. And we all fall into that category. There's no such thing as somebody who's not a sinner. We all are. We're all broken. We're all flawed. We're all enabled. Like we're all corrupted. We're all dumb. Like all the different flaws of what it means to be human. That's the very fact that we're human. The very fact that we're flawed is what makes God so wonderful because he sent his son into the world to die knowing that we would hate him. And how do we know that we hate him? We killed him when he came because with Jesus, he's always out for your good. He's never out to hurt you. He's never out to harm you. He's only out there to, to bring you life. And you talk, when you read Jesus in the scriptures, he's always talking about life. I've come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And it's, and then he says this, it's the thief, AKA Satan who comes to kill destroy in the maim. And that's why I think even now, if you want to interpret the world of what we're going through in the last two years through a Christian or a biblical lens, what we're going through right now is not governments. It is, but it's a spiritual force and a spiritual power behind yeah. it. Because again, in Ephesians now chapter six, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principles and authorities in the high places and in governments. And the notion or idea is that really Satan and his minions, AKA demons operate and manifest through powerful people and powerful institutions to what subjugate, maim, kill, destroy, and diminish freedom, our freedom of rights, our freedom of as humans, our ability to live and to joy and to have joy and and peace. And that's why with COVID right away, I interpret it spiritually. Um, If they're shutting down, at least in Canada, people's access to hockey rinks, people need hockey to enjoy life and to have good mental health, to go to the gym. They need people need we need these things like you get those things taken away. What's going to happen? People are going to get depressed. They're going to turn to drugs. They're going to turn to alcohol. And the real scourge of the pandemic was not um, overrunning hospitals. They were not overrun. Actually, the hospitals were quite empty in Canada. They were only filled if they're for one reason, people on overdoses people who couldn't handle it, people who are severely depressed. And if you interpret it more biblically, what was occurring? It's a spiritual attack. We're having our freedoms, our 
the very things that we need as humans to enjoy life, it's all being taken away, which kind of leads to kind of like relevant questions now, like what do we do about it? Well, like I'm reading, um, like Galatians chapter five says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Satan is the one who's seeking to slave you, enslave you. He's not your friend. But the corruptness of the human mind, again, biblically, is that we really think and believe in our heart of hearts. Even me to this day, like 13 years as a Christian, I still struggle with this. We think and believe that if we live life on our own terms and as our own God, following Satan, so to speak, we'll be better off. But that's the trick. And that's the lie that we all experience. Every human experiences day to day, right from Genesis. We all think that if we live as our own God, we'll be better off. But then Jesus is the one, the true God, who's kind of like, guys, like I'm here. Trust me, like put your faith in me, like these kind of Christian terms and watch what happens. And then it's kind of like the day to day battle of what are you going to kind of do? Um, but how do you know, how do you know what that is though? Like, I find that even everyone who is a Christian will have some variation, like some different interpretation from someone else, right? Like one person might think, no, I'm an absolutist when it comes to, for instance, sex before marriage, I'm never going to have sex before I get married, etc. And someone else might say, oh, well, you know, uh, like take a bit more of a nuanced approach, say, oh, well, you know, as long as you're in a, like a loving and committed relationship and it's not like, a, you know, a fleeting thing or whatever. And I don't know what the answer is. And like, this is why when I come down to all of these questions, I always just think like, are you operating, are you lying on an individual level or are you operating based upon what you think is the highest truth? And I don't think that's saying like, I am a God. Like right. some people will have different morals on different things, but I'm not sure whether that can necessarily be prescribed because I won't do so. If a, if a book says, okay, well, you should do this thing. And I feel personally like it goes against a, um, a moral code that I have that I believe, well, this is the right thing for me to follow. I'm going to kind of go with my own like moral instinct on it. And I do think that people should think about those questions because a lot of people, they don't think about them at all. And I think the starting point is think about what those questions are. Think about like what truth actually means to you in your life. But I, I keep coming back to truth as being synonymous with God. Like when I kind of mm. um, keep thinking about the concept of God. Now, obviously in a Christian sense, you might think, okay, well, truth is, uh, you know, the commandments of God, and, uh, you know, or whatever. Or truth is the, uh, that Jesus died for our sins, et cetera. But I think that if everyone pursues truth in their own mm -hmm. life, God's will is fulfilled. Whatever you you kind of deem God to be, whatever your interpretation of God is, I think it's fulfilled by people following, honestly, their truth on an individual basis. And that's not to say, okay, well, I'm just going to like invent my own moral code and live according to it as being truth. It's like, what do you honestly believe is right? What do you honestly believe is just? Follow that and God's will, God's will is fulfilled as the kind of, as a natural extension of that, as long as everyone is pursuing that personally in their own life. So I think that, that 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 pursuit of truth on an individual level essentially is like a kind of microcosm for God's will on a macro level, on a universal level. So that, that's the way I see it. I'm just, I'm just interested to hear your thoughts on that and, and particularly how it pertains to awesome. people having different interpretations of from a Christian perspective. So that's where I've been struggling because on one hand... The Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I want to make sure I get this right. It's either 12, it's 11, 12, or 13. Um, diversity. And I'll channel my wonderful prime minister, Justin Trudeau, who 
people tell me I look like all the time. So I'm glad you haven't said that yet. It freaking drives You know me what crazy. I was going to say? It, I, not just Justin uh, Trudeau, but um, oh, what's the guy? What's the guy? Uh, Christian Bale and Justin Trudeau, like a kind of love child. Dude, you've got some that. Christian Bale in you as well. I think, yeah. Hey, that softens the blow I, a bit as well, PJ. <laughs> yeah, well, you can get in me anytime. No, um, Bale, that's <laughs> wicked. I'll take that all day. Trudeau, I, I, I don't want to rant for ten minutes. Just a, that just guy, a hint. But, uh, yeah, um, I'll use a Justin Trudeau slogan: "Diversity is our strength." In the Christian community, you do have a lot of diversity of views and opinions, and I think that's awesome because. If everybody was the same and we all thought the same, that'd be just super boring. Like that, who wants that? Like we're all talking sound pieces saying the same thing. Like that's not more or less like in the Nicene Creed or the Orthodox creeds, you have kind of like the base kind of foundations, which is like Jesus is God. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He's coming back and like kind of past those things. There's a lot of room for interpretation, but kind of the core things are, are kind of key, I'd say. But I would say this though. So say if we are all living our own truth, then as we just saw, maybe I'll use an example of the last two years. Some people really believed in their honest, true moral intuition from their heart of hearts that the best, most loving and truthful thing to do was to get double vaccinated, put a mask on and stay within your own house until the government said so. Many churches also believe that man, like that uh, mandate, and many churches believing that there was their God-given moral compass to obey the government authorities also did those things. Whereas someone like me, and I would hint and probably guess that someone like you as well, believe that that was actually morally incorrect and morally wrong. Who's right? So a part well, of I would yeah, say, but, but I, this is the thing though. So so. You, w- you wouldn't get an answer to who's right on that from um, Christian doctrine, would you? You wouldn't get an answer to that from the Bible necessarily because it all depends on whether you actually believe that that thing you're doing is going to have, is the, the loving act. And I would say the distinction is, are you doing the act out of love or out of fear? Most people during that time, they were doing these things out of fear. So I think as long as your actions are guided by love, that generally is going to mean that you are... Um, you are aligning with truth as well. In fact, I would say it always does. You might not feel it as love in the moment, but I think that the distinction there is, are you acting out of love or fear? And you'll probably find if you're acting out of love, well, then that's the, that's the action which is truthful and that is the action which is just or right. But that, that's my interpretation. I'm interested to hear your thoughts. So what you just said to me has made my blood rush with pride and joy. And I won't say where the blood rushed to. Like that answer is like freaking, <laughs> freaking awesome. And because I would say I agree with you that actually what most people interpreted as love was actually fear. And then they just like jumped on the moral virtue signaling of their own fear, calling it a good thing. And that was what was so detrimental. And I would say because like the Bible says too, like perfect love casts out fear. Anything that operates out of lies or fear is automatically wrong. Like it's just like spiritually it's incorrect. Mm -hmm. And I would probably argue then and even say that like a lot of people who think that they are true Christians, followers of Jesus, they probably aren't actually maybe as close to the truth as what they would think. And then this goes back to, again, diversity and probably on my part, humility as a Christian is that already, Johnny, from like, because I've watched you and listened to you, man, you're the, I, you're the freaking man. Like you're like Mike. Um, Mike and I don't see eye to eye on everything. <laughs> Thanks, and we don't, we don't yeah. agree on everything, but like, Dude, that guy, he's awesome. And 
in a lot of yeah, ways, yeah, yeah. I would say that he's like, and he's so humble to as well. <laughs> <laughs> he, no, he is like that guy's closer to God than a lot of Christians, Christians. And I would say, dude, like someone like you, like you're probably like more Christian and closer to God than like more than you would realize more than I realize and more than a lot of other people realize. Cause again, even the Bible, when you okay. read it, who are the people that like, not only like opposed Jesus the most and actually killed him. They were the Pharisees. What distinguished a Pharisee? A person that was so certain of their moral righteousness and mm -hmm. so certain of their own like ideas being objectively right. So that's why like the interactions with Jesus again are so fascinating because like Jesus would go and talk to the Pharisees and he would say this like, um, I'm uh, like, I'm the son of God, more or less. Like I'm like the, the true one that came and has come into the world to save the world. And the Pharisees are like, no, like you're actually of the devil. Like you're from the devil. And then Jesus would be like, why do you say that? They're like, oh, because Moses, like Moses and Abraham, like they're the true guys that we're supposed to follow. We're supposed to follow the law. And then Jesus says like, um, if you listen to Abraham and Moses, you would listen to me because like, I'm the one that sent them essentially. And then they're like, no, like, you're wrong, you're wrong. We only worship and follow God. And then Jesus is like, you're of your father, the devil, and you are murderers, and you, you're you like your father, the devil, because he, he was a murderer from the beginning. And he's just, like, throwing out these, like, super, like, harsh, like, you murderers, you devil worshipers, like, these extreme things. But then the Pharisees, they couldn't get what he was saying. And there's the irony of the picture, because in their minds, they think that Jesus is literally the devil, and literally demon possessed. Why? Because he's claiming to be God, but they know who God is because they have the scriptures, because they read the Bible and they have the Testament law, they have the commands. And in their own mind, they're so convinced that they and they alone know who God is. But the irony is that like the very God that they claim to know and worship is literally arguing with them in front of their face and they don't even see it. And like, th there's so many things about that John chapter eight, by the way, but like, there's so many things about like that interaction with Jesus all the time that like we can set up our little like Christian religions and our games and our objects of worship and our rituals and our crosses, all those things, fine, no problem. And they might have some use, they might not. But the fact is, and like what Jesus says, the worshipers that God is seeking, and this is John chapter four, he's worship, he's looking for worshipers who will follow him in spirit and in truth, spirit and truth. Mm. He's not looking for people who will like chant his name. He's not looking for people who are perfect. He's not looking like those things are actually very irrelevant. What is Jesus looking for? He's looking for sinners. Like he's looking for everyday people. He's looking for people who are seeking him in spirit and truth. And Johnny, man, like that's why I love like conversations like this, because I would just say, and I don't know you well, and I'm sure you have your flaws and your, <laughs> your good and your bad about you. Uh, you don't need to share them out here now. No need for dirty laundry on the podcast, but um, you might be closer than you think. And, and I bet a lot of people listening, if they're on that same journey of spirit and truth, uh, you're probably like Jesus is probably not far from you. And that's why when last thing, when the apostle Paul says in um, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter 17, this unknown God I'll proclaim to you because in him we move and live and have our being and he's not far from every one of us. And that's like the kind of the consciousness kicking in again, where like the, the creation, like when you see it kind of speaking through the universe and when you feel it internally and you feel your own soul, like, because you're right, man, it's, it's absolutely bizarre 
how we're self-conscious, like this meat package of flesh and blood, like what is consciousness? Where does it reside? And it's just like this bizarre mm -hmm. existence thing. And most people take it for granted, don't even care about it. But as Plato said, like the true philosopher is who is somebody who considers like, why am I here? And uh, a lot of these themes that we're touching on are, are very, very Apostle Paul, very Jesus, very Bible. And it's good, man. That's, that's, that's my, that's, yeah. my, thought, man. that's my thought. I, yeah, I, I'm super interested in this stuff. And, you know, like I, I definitely think that, I don't know, like I, I just have a sense that not just myself, but I think a lot of people after what happened in 2020 just kind of get a lot of these messages a lot more because maybe we just hadn't been like necessarily tested. Nobody had been put in kind of a really compromising position where you have to say, what am I about? What's my integrity? And, you know, yeah. like personally for me and a lot of people I know, you put yourself in very compromise, compromising situations with your friends and your family and stuff because most of the people you know are just going along with it. And you're saying, this just feels wrong. I know it's wrong in my heart. I know that, you know, it doesn't matter how many people tell me, you know, like that I'm, I'm a granny killer or whatever, and I should just put a mask on and take the vaccine or whatever. Like it seems wrong. There's, there's something about this that seems it's against truth. It's against morality. It's against reason, you know, et cetera. And, um, and, and it's, it's actions being taken out of fear and some, and, and you can just kind of get it. And I think that maybe people at different times in their life have this, uh, have this sense, they kind of get rocked and they actually have to say, okay, like, what, what am I about? I'm having to actually really think about here. Like, do I go with my integrity or do I just follow the crowd? And for some people, they probably still have no idea that they went along with the crowd and maybe that wasn't their test. Maybe they, they weren't being tested on this thing, but it seemed to have been this kind of like massive global event that forced everyone to kind of look inside and say, like, what am I about? Like, what am I willing to stand for in the world? Am I going to, am I going to kind of stand on my own integrity or am I going to go with the expedient option? And, um, I would just chill as well. I don't know if, again, if you, if you've listened to them, but if, if I've got new listeners who haven't listened to my previous episodes, the ones with a guy called Joel Rafidi, I've done, uh, at least, yeah, I've done two episodes now with Joel and like, both of them kind of go into this a lot about the idea that COVID-19 was a collective rite of passage. That's actually the name of the, the, first, wow. the first episode. And we really went into this about how, you know, in the similar way that, you know, you have kind of some cultures which they will send their, their boys out to become men. They'll say, you know, you, you get kind of like expelled from the tribe for years and you come back a man and you have to go through these rites of passage that Love perhaps that. in the West, we just don't have these rites of passage. We never we actually don't. have to have our faith tested. And Correct. You know, if you don't have this in your culture as like these small rites of passage that each individual goes goes through, your entire culture, your entire there's going to be these kind of like rites of passage which collectively have to happen. And that was what those conversations were about. And I definitely think that, that ties into what we're speaking about. You're well. so wicked because, and that's what it was for me because, like, when I went out to live in the ranch, like way up north on my own, like that minus thirty degree weather out here, man. Like I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit. Like thirty minus thirty Celsius is cold, bro. And um, I was out there like hunting elk and chopping firewood in the woods by myself. I had a little dog with me, <laughs> um, but in a lot of ways. And then also like my, my, uh, my, the person who I was out there with, like the, the co-farmer who was teaching me a lot of this stuff and some of the indigenous people who are out there, amazing people, like they taught me a lot, man. And uh, about what it meant to be a man and masculinity and, um, all those things were like, I became a man in and through those experiences enough that again, like even with women, not that I would say I was completely like a dud because God did do a lot of work in me, I'd say, but like I had to go through those things before I was able to recognize even my need for a partner, my need of what it would mean to be in a relationship, 
how to like deny my own feelings or lust or desires of like hooking up compared to what does it look like to be in a genuine relationship with a woman? And now that I have one, I'm like, Oh man, like this was so much better. And I, unless I got that rite of passage, man. So bro, like I, that's what you just said is super deep. And then the second thought I was going to say is this, is that for COVID probably in the same way, in the same way, like the Greek word is evangelium and that's where the Greek or the word evangelical comes from. So there are evangelical Christians. And what does it mean? It means like spreaders of the good news is that in the same way, like when the early Christian missionaries would go out to different parts of the world, they would see like the Aztecs, like sacrificing their children to the sun God and like their blood and their heads rolling down the temple. Like they went to them saying like, guys, like it's actually not true. Like there isn't a sun God and the sun's not revolving because you sacrifice the heads of your children. Like God actually created it and he loves you and he wants you to love your children. Like that's crazy. But more or less is you see who, oh, how did I have it explained to me? God speaking to you and a part of meaning is when you recognize something about the world. Is when you recognize a flaw about the world. We all see different things. For me, for example, I saw something really deeply flawed with the world of sport and hockey, enough so that I wrote a thesis paper and studied it. I recognized something wrong. I wanted to fix it. And a part of that calling was so powerful, it gave me meaning. I would say Johnny for you too. It was the same way. And I felt this for COVID obviously too. Like I did write a book, but like for you it was probably the same way. We're like, there's something so intuitively wrong going on around me that I recognize, but others don't. It's my job to get them to see it. Why? Because I want them to experience freedom and goodness and not slavery. Why? Because I care for them. And that's the same calling of evangelism in your own heart that would be in mine. And in what I'd say is like the true followers of Jesus, it's you recognize a flaw in the world. And it's kind of unique to some of us too. Like we all have differences. And again, that's the diversity thing kind of kicking in, but more or less it's the same path of love and truth because out of a love for your fellow man who's made in God's image, like you are, you want to share truth to them. Why? Because you care for them. Why? Because you want them to experience goodness in life. And that's Jesus, like that's Jesus in a nutshell. And what's the contrast? It's fear, it's subjugation, it's slavery, it's yoke, it's all the flaws that we're trying to expose. Yeah. And I'd say lies. Too, like, yeah, man, and like lies, like and those those like what you're like all those things are so motivating for you. It led you to start a wicked podcast and to do the things that you're doing enough so that you're still doing it. Even same with Parallel Mike, like same with all the truth because there mm -hmm. are have been some incredible people in the last two years who have really opened up their eyes and spread some powerful truth about what's going on enough. So that I think that the collective consciousness of people in the West are kind of waking up being like, actually, you know what the, the reality that we thought we lived the last 40 years, especially with like America and their wars and like the degenerates that exist in Washington, maybe our politicians actually aren't good people. Like maybe they're yeah, actually yeah. not out for our good when Maybe the big multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical companies actually aren't really out for our own good and our own health. It's like people are kind of like finally asking these questions. Why? Because we have people like you sharing it. And that's how I think, again, my opinion, how God moves and operates in the world. He moves and in and operates in and through people like you. And it's a beautiful thing, man. And uh, yeah. we're all here as a part of the journey, like cheering you on, like keep going. And uh, that's it, pal. So. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's that's awesome. That's awesome. You know, and I, I, I do get a similar feeling that I think that when 
kind of evil happens in this, there's always like an, an equal and opposite reaction. And I think that when what we saw in 2020 was kind of like a, a bubbling up because a lot of people maybe weren't facing their own truth in their life. You had this bubbling up of this, this kind of big lie and, and this thing that just kind of goes against things that are good in the world. And I think that the uh, response to that is that a lot of people kind of just get shaken into action to some degree. And, um, you know, I'd always kind of consider myself to be some like, to be kind of like spiritual, but I guess not in the sense that I felt motivated enough to say, no, like I need to actually start speaking and connecting with other people and, and, you know, having other people share their stories and, and kind of talking about these things, because suddenly it seemed like this, this is something that needs to happen in the world. And, uh, yeah, like you said, there's a lot of people who, have kind of come to the fore on that and who like now have, have a voice and it's great to see. And honestly, I just think that it's, the world has completely changed, man. Like the, mm. I, even, even in 2020, even like in the beginning stages of like kind of COVID happening and stuff like that, I was still occasionally, I wasn't looking at the news much, but occasionally I was tuning in. Occasionally I'd visit the, the news page and say like, what's going on now? It just has no, there's absolutely no reason like there's there would be absolutely zero reason for me to ever click on a news site because what am I going to learn from that? There, there is absolutely nothing to be had. It, it's, it's pure, pure propaganda. Correct. And um, I think that now a lot of people, you know, similar to me, it's like I get everything from podcasts. I get I, I looked and not even like big podcasts, not even like big influences. Like mm-hmm. I'm not even listening to like Joe Rogan and stuff. I'm listening to no. people like Mike. I'm, I'm listening to people who like, you know, actually like in my community and I go, I resonate with this person. They are speaking truth and I can feel it and I'm listening to that. And I think a lot of other people are doing that as well. And that's going to ripple out into the world. And you know, that, that, that makes me optimistic. So what about you? Are you optimistic? So, well, cause again, like I would say just one last thing for you then Johnny, and then I'll answer your question. Is that like, sure. What you're doing, man, it's, it's bigger though, than, than just like you're doing what you're doing. It's a calling, like it's destiny. Like, I would almost say that like you were predestined and chosen for this. Like it's, it's kind of like when a knight is set off on an adventure, like you're chosen to do this. Like people need you, like people need you. Like, it's not just like what you're doing is like, I enjoy it. I try to make, I try to do this cause I care. Like, no, like people need you, man. Like, and I say, I try to say this to the mic too. Like maybe they, maybe they need me too, man. I don't know. But like people need you, like they need this. And if they don't get it, they're going to get CBC. Uh, they're going to get the mainstream media. And, and that's <laughs> the Bible. Again, Jesus says this, how will they know truth unless someone goes out and says it, how will they know unless somebody is sent? And it, <clears throat> again, like it's, it's just, it's good stuff, man. So what you have is a calling it's destiny, man. Like we need you, we need guys like you. And it's, it's powerful. Cause we are, we're on a team. I think of it as like, I'm a hockey coach now. Like we're all on a team and we're trying to like win the game. And like, this is the game yeah. of life and we're trying to win it. So, there's that me optimistic. I'm not overly, <laughs> oh, no. um, Damn. I don't know. Like, I don't know. Like, I, I struggle with that one in a general, yeah. like metaphysical sense. Yes. Cause I have a strong unwavering faith. I'll use that. I don't know. I have a, I have a faith that like good wins in the end. Yeah. Cause I believe in the story of Jesus. I believe that he rose. Like I believe he's coming back. So that but that sounds me- like the ultimate, um, that sounds like the ultimate optimism. Like wh- why would that be, why, where's the negative twist in that? Yeah. Well, those dirty old Klaus Schwab and Bill Gates are going to get kicked into the dirty old pit and that'll be awesome. But, um, <laughs> I would just say like, sure, I believe that. And I believe it with a very strong, like enough, I build my entire life on it. I don't fully know it until Jesus comes back for sure. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, 
until you hear the trumpet sound, we'll kind of be like still kind of waiting because we are humans. I don't fully know everything, right? Like what the, what the heck? So, um, I'm pessimistic in the sense that the last two years really, I, I think there are more sleepers than there are people awake. And I think when the next few rounds of the reset come around, I don't know how pretty yeah. or how damaging it will get. And this leads into a very practical question for me that I'm dealing with right now, which is this. Um, 1930s Germany, the wise ones saw what was going on and they got out. The Jews and just general citizens, they saw it. And they were like, time to get out and leave. Um, and they saw the best form of love was they thought that the Nazis and the general populace had gone so far over that there was no point in really reasoning with them. It was kind of just do what you can for those that you can and help out those that you could. Um, but then, so on one argument for me, like one is like, do I take me and the misses and, and those that I care for and, and build the off grid community and, and do the parallel system and, and get off and get away, stop doing podcasts, stop speaking, just become kind of low end and discreet and live life away from it all. And I've done that and it's wonderful for a lot of reasons. Um, or, and kind of like survive because like you're going to need to do these things. I just don't know the next 10 years, but I feel like you're going to need to learn how to farm and do all the things, man. Cause, uh, Bill Gates, when he's feeding you the uh, cockroach butter and when there's no electricity, it's not going to be pretty in the cities. Um, the other part of me is, is very uh, mesmerized by a character named Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Christian pastor who saw Nazism right away, saw it for what it was, tried to warn people. Nobody listened. He left and went to America very, like very discouraged. He went to America for safety and he was in love with a girl and um, he went out there and, but he really felt called by God to go back. And he went back to Germany and tried to like keep telling people about what was going on, tried to help Jews escape. And he became a part of a plot to kill Hitler. There's actually like a small plot of like, kind of like a few pastors and missionaries and they, and just like a freaking awesome group of people that were like really amazing um, working um, as spies with the allies to try to assassinate Hitler from the inside out. And uh, obviously like they failed and Bonhoeffer, um, more or less was caught by the Nazis and he went to prison and the last year of his life, he wrote like a, a couple books and a couple like letters, like in prison, just kind of talking about life. And he was like really messed up with like the ethical question of like, is it right as a Christian to like try to kill Hitler? Because on one hand there's thou shall not kill, but also Hitler is like a maniac and crazy yeah. and deranged and so far gone and evil that it's morally required to kill him. And that's where he ultimately rested. Um, but, uh, yeah, but Hitler found out about him and actually one of Hitler's very last requests before he died was to make sure that Bonhoeffer was assassinated or was killed because he found out about, about the assassination plot and he lost it. And it's a really powerful story, but more or less Bonhoeffer fled and went back into danger to try to help people and to try to do something. And, uh, Frigman, like that's where I'm at today where I'm like, I don't, again, like I don't consider myself any more or less significant than the next person. Um, but is it my moral duty to stay in the danger zones? Really the city centers, I believe like the city centers are not going to be pretty. Do you stay in the city centers where all the people are and try to help some and save some maybe, or, or do you get out? And that's your interpretation of culture. And my, my friend, like the people that I'm close with, we talk about it because we're like, is it so far gone that the people who, let's say the people who are sheep listening to all the propaganda got their third and fourth booster shot, like, 
can they even be spoken to? Can they be reasoned with? Some people are like, yeah, like God can like do everything and anything. He can help people and save them and wake up them, wake them up. But then some people that I listen to are like, no, COVID was like a big deal. And it really separated like the, the, the wheat from the shaft. And like some people, man, just like it, it's, it's hard, but like you have to like kind of psychologically prepare yourself for the fact that like people are not, some people are just like, they're not going to take on the burden of responsibility. They're not going to wake up. They're not going to listen. They'll just do what they're told because they're operating out of fear. And like, you can't help everybody do what you can to save some. So that's the notion of the off-grid community is like, that will be hard too, man. Like I've lived out there. It's not easy to hunt and grow food and to work hard and all the things, right? I like ordering sushi off the Uber Eats. I like going to McDonald's and grabbing a coffee. Um, I like playing hockey, like all the things that I like of the modern world, but those things are very contingent. As we saw with COVID, it's contingent upon a vaccine passport, really. And if there are more passports coming down the road, I don't want to participate in that. So uh, I need to get off the grid. So those are real questions, man. So it, it binds up optimism, pessimism. It binds up your view of what's going to happen the next few years. I believe and agree with Parallel Mike that we're in a global sovereign debt crisis and the collapse of the U.S. dollar, probably and maybe like a growing conflict with like U.S. with Russia, China. Who knows what that is or what that looks like? Very least, there'll be digital ID codes um, for all intents and purposes. It just seems like that's what's going to happen. And whether you like it or not, like I, I just know that I won't do that. So, yeah. And yeah, man, when you're in a relationship too, like it changes your whole purpose and meaning like if you have a girl that you care about so much and a desire to start your own family and, and help those in need, frig man, like real questions, man. I'd be, man, just throwing, if there's the people who are listening to this podcast, like if you want to message me on Twitter or even comment in the section, I'd love to hear your opinions. Cause I imagine that do like you left Britain to move to Mexico. You thought about the same thing. So Take take yeah. that where you will. I know we've been chatting for a while already. I don't know how much longer you wanted to listen to me. No, but, that's um, that's that's good. We can start we can start wrapping up now. Anyway, okay. Um, yeah, but this has been this has been awesome, man. This has been this has been a super super like interesting conversation. I hope that like people who are who are listening or watching um, resonate with what we're saying and stuff. And yeah, I'm really interested to know people's thoughts as well. So, guys, please. Join the Telegram. The, te- te- the Telegram is in the in the description. The uh, you know you can join in there, ask questions there, put something on Twitter, like wherever you found the podcast. There should be some some way to to put a comment. So yeah, let us know what you thought of the conversation and um, connect with PJ as well. PJ, do you want to just share about your book as well before we um, finish off? Because I don't think we really mentioned it all in this conversation. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, just the last thing is just, uh, so the title of my book is Gradually, Gradually, Suddenly, The Coming Financial Collapse and the Hope of Jesus Christ. And uh, yeah, it's a two-part. It's kind of based on John chapter 3, verse 12, where Jesus says, if I've told you about earthly things you did not believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? And basically the book is premised on that, where the first part of the book is talking about just like the existential things of today, like um, the geopolitical crisis, like COVID, pandemic, just got all the kind of things that you would, that people I'm sure are kind of aware of, of just kind of the general things that are happening in this world. Um, and then more or less, I was kind of trying to say that if you can become aware about the truth about what's er- about earthly things, things that are going on in the earth, maybe that will lead to what is the greater thing, which is in my view as a Christian, the greater reality of God's love for you and his salvation and the good news story of what Jesus did for you on the cross. And, and really the truth that like, although life is very difficult and full of suffering and, and very hard for the, the short term, 
the long term, the big picture is, is where our true hope is, which is that Jesus is, is real and he's there and he loves and that's where our hope is found. So yeah, that's more or less like a summary of the book and um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Check it out. But um, man, so much has already happened like since the book has been written, man, like it just seems like we're in a constant news flash. Eh? But yeah, so yeah, well, I mean, I haven't, I haven't read it yet. I'm a super, super slow reader, so it takes me like a long time to get through any book. But it's definitely on my list. I'm, I'm keen to see what you put in there. But I don't know maybe you need to write another one. Think since things have, uh, have changed, changed so much. <laughs> <laughs> An update. <laughs> well, now that I got a girl, I'm writing a romance novel. Are you? That's, no, I can you. I oh. should know. Let's go. Let's get one. Let's start it. <laughs> oh, I was gonna, I was gonna say that's like quite a, uh, quite a gear change in the in the writing career an erotica i shouldn't say that i shouldn't say that <laughs> <laughs> all right well yeah thanks everyone for for uh sticking with it this has been this has been awesome oh by the way you know what i want to mention i want to mention two things before i uh sign off one is i got to mention that did you notice my harry potter my new harry potter scar here hmm. yeah i, I, I got i, I got to mention it just because in case people are like what the hell happened to your head i had like a, an injury <laughs> exercising um, and I got like bashed in the head. So if you're wondering why the hell have I got a scar, it's because I had a uh, an injury and very close to my eyes. That was that was a strike. That if something's going to make me a believer, it's the fact this this thing did not <laughs> hit me in the eye and kill my vision. Um, and aside from that, yeah, if people can um, please support me, um, there's ways to do that. Go in the in description, check it out. There's the um, buy me a coffee. You can donate with Bitcoin. Nobody donates with Bitcoin. I, I should just not even bother mentioning it at this point. Buy me a coffee. You can go on there. You can give like uh, monthly donations or you can give a one-off donation. Everything does go towards the cost of supporting the show. Right now, I'm not getting enough in donations to pay for the outgoings of the show. So please do that. Uh, it helps me. If you've got value from this conversation, um, please consider it. Uh, PJ, any last words before we sign things off? No, I, I just didn't know that bench pressing 20 pounds like that was heavy enough for it to fall on your head. So <laughs> but a couple more hours yeah. in there, Johnny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I need to, I need to work at work at the weight a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, not dude. Obviously, like again, simple. Just thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it, and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. People need you, so keep it up. Yeah, yeah. Likewise, man. Keep uh, writing or whatever it is is you're gonna do. You're gonna do next. Um, check out the book, guys, and you know I'll definitely be checking out at some stage as well. And let's uh, let's catch up again in the future, PJ. Look forward to having the next one. You got it, brother. Cheers.